Hey guys, this is Drake. Thanks so much for tuning in to our City Church podcast here. It's an honor to have you. Hey, at the end of this episode, we'd love for you to take a moment, subscribe to this podcast channel if you haven't already. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel so we can continue to serve you with content that we're putting out on a weekly basis. And in addition, if we can serve you in any way or connect with you in community in any way, you can visit our website at citychurchboulder.com and we would love to connect with you there. And lastly, and most importantly, I hope this content is helpful to you. It's encouraging, it's inspiring, and you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. All right, welcome to City Church. How you guys doing? This this very beautiful kickoff of spring break Sunday. Thank you guys so much for showing up. I'm so pumped to box somebody today. That's what's happening today. So get ready. It's going to be great. But genuinely glad that you guys are here as we kind of rolling into spring break. We got people partying and catching up on those last days of their ski pass. We got people having babies. All kinds of stuff is happening. I'm so glad you chose to just gather with us this morning. Listen, no matter where you are on your spiritual journey, you are loved, safe, and welcome here at City Church. And we're so pumped just to meet you where you are, help you take some next steps. My name is Drake. I'm the pastor, and I'm really just genuinely glad that you're here and excited for the series that we've been in called followers. I just want to do a little bit of a recap, kind of get you caught up, get us on the same page, and I promise today's going to be super helpful, a little bit challenging, but this week is going to be better because we all leaned in. So we've been in this series uh, called Followers. We've been asking the question, like, what does it mean to follow Jesus? And this is so important. Like, no matter where you are on your spiritual journey, this is a really important question. Like, we're not asking, like, what did your grandma say growing up? Like, you know, what did you think you heard that one time? What did Tom and Jerry teach you? You know, what did your college professor say? What did that one book that one time kind of confuse you about? What we're asking is, what is the invitation directly from Jesus to follow Jesus, to be an apprentice under Jesus? So we've been taking uh, the better part of the beginning of this year and walking through this. We've done a ton of work to get to this place. And so you can go back on our podcast, on our YouTube channel, and kind of catch up on these series of talks. And I'll kind of give you the the big picture today. But the, the gist of this invitation and conversation is Jesus specifically invites us to follow him. But here's what that means. It means to first be with Jesus, not to do things for him, not to be a good person, not go to church a bunch, read your Bible, give it a little bit of money, and you know, hopefully you go to heaven when you die. It's, it's not a destination invitation, but a relationship to first be with Jesus. And then as we are being with Jesus, we then begin to become like Jesus. All of us are becoming someone, intentionally or not, and the invitation is to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and ultimately do what Jesus did. We've been taking the better part of the last couple of weeks and kind of walking through these things, breaking them down, massively helpful, super uh, informative for me and hopefully for you, but also we've been walking through this paradigm I want to show you for a sec. This is... um, what we call intentional spiritual formation. So everyone in the room, whether you're a Jesus follower or not, you are being formed. You are a disciple of something somewhere, whether it's Jesus or the culture that we live in, you are being formed. In addition to that, you are either being formed intentionally or unintentionally. And there's this entire paradigm we we visited over the first couple of weeks of like unintentional spiritual formation is just what happens to you when you wake up tomorrow. (laughs) Or you wake up in the morning, the day starts happening to you, and all of a sudden you're being formed. And there are things happening in you, whether you are are, are paying attention to them or not, of of forming who you are and who you're becoming. But we talked about if we want to counteract the unintentional spaces of formation, we can press into intentional spiritual formation. We said there's a couple ways that that happens. And so the first one is going to be teaching. That's aimed at the the, the head and the heart, that we literally have a vision that we are are, are getting in our minds. Like when when we gather together, one of the reasons is to worship God, to be together with one another, to see one another and encourage each other, but also to get a vision 
vision for what Jesus wants to do in and through our lives. That maybe, maybe Jesus' invitation is something that, that we want to lean into. In addition to teaching, we talked about practice, that our habits make us. What we do is who we become. And so unintentional habits begin to form us, but if we'll pay attention to the practices, they can begin to form who we are. We spent an entire couple of weeks on that. And then now we've been over the last two or three weeks dealing with community. And so it's one thing to hang out with the people that you like and the people that are like you, but it's another thing entirely to choose community. Specifically, the invitation from Jesus is to be a part of what he calls the family of God. And so as we choose community, we're walking through it today, we're going to deal with like community and like conflict and confrontation, which is like everyone's favorite thing to do ever. So that's why we have the boxing gloves. So we're just going to, you know, practically work out community up here. I got a couple people who are at odds. We're just going to give you some gloves and we're going to go after it. Okay, it's going to be great. We're going to have fun today. I, I promise. I'm, I'm a little bit funny. All right. So next week, I don't want you to miss it. Before I, I get into this last piece of community today, next week we're going to deal with the Holy Spirit, which is the center of all that we do these practices through. That apart from the Holy Spirit, that is God in us. Through Jesus, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. God in us, we, we are empowered to live the life that you and I can't live on our own. Now, for all my Harry Potter fans, just uh, there you go. I couldn't help myself. I just... Deathly Hollows. All right, next week, show up. Find out what the Holy Spirit and the Deathly Hollows have to do with each other. Okay, all right, let's, let's go on. So uh, a couple of things. I have, I have a text for you, I think. What's next here on the slides? Yeah, all right. So when we start talking about community, conflict, and confrontation, here's the deal. There should be something different about the way that Christians do conflict. Would you agree? Should, should there be something different about the way that Christians do? Was, was there something different about Jesus, yes or no? We would argue yes, and, and I mean, turn the world upside, kind of, upside down kind of different. And so there should be something different about the way that Christians do conflict. Look what Jesus said in John 13. Jesus said, a new command I give to you, that you go to church a bunch and don't say bad words. So simple, a new command that I give to you, love one another. That's profound, isn't it? Love one another just as I have loved you. Okay, that, that's the kicker. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. How has Jesus loved us? Sacrificially, generously, that he would give his life in our place even though he was not deserving of death. He would die in our place for our sins, that kind of sacrificial love. He says, love one another not like your parents taught you, not like the government is teaching you, not like you learned in school, although, you know, like, you know, the golden rule is not bad doing to others. Is, okay, you know, that, that, we, we, there's some things we can take, but Jesus gives us the example. As I have loved you, you are also to love one another. Check this out. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, my followers, my apprentices, if you have love for one another. Jesus said the loudest message in the world around us, the representation of God's love working in and through us is the love that we have for one another. And you know the problem that you and I feel? You know what the problem is in like the Western United States and the entire culture that we live in? Is most people watch the church and they watch people who profess to follow Jesus and there is a massive disconnect because their conflict looks just like everyone else's. There's nothing different in someone who's following Jesus in their marriage versus everyone else's. And their dating relationships and their friend groups, they do conflict exactly the same. And what's worse is sometimes Christian conflict is a little worse, isn't it? Like some people have really, really bad tastes in their mouth because of the way that a Christian blasts someone on social media. 
or the way that you start arguments over politics at Thanksgiving, (laughs) or by the judgmental way that you treat others outside of the family of God who look nothing like you. Unfortunately, we have a culture that is very familiar. We live in a post-Christian context that is very familiar with the idea of Jesus. And I've heard it said many times, I actually really like Jesus. Some of my friends would say, I just don't like his people. And there's this massive disconnect between what we see in Jesus and then sometimes what we experience in his community. And odds are, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not in the room, you've had some kind of rub up against these disconnects. And the reality is community is challenging. I mean, I mean, it's already a hard dynamic just in your home. And so you, then you, you add the context of, of the family of God, all kinds of different people from all kinds of different backgrounds coming together to live life together. And community gets challenging. I heard an author say this week that community is, is our greatest pain and can be our greatest healing. It's this weird dichotomy that we live in. So let me show you a text. This is going to be our core text today, and then we're going to dig into some of, the, some of the practical implications. So Philippians 2, Paul is writing to a, an early church, and he says, if you have, he's talking to followers of Jesus, brand new followers of Jesus. He says, if you have any encouragement from being united with, with Christ, he's talking about what Jesus has done. If you have any encouragement from your relationship with Jesus, if you have any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete, Paul says, by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. He's echoing the words of Jesus here, and he goes on in verse 3. And he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit but rather in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset that Jesus has towards you. So this is our text. We're going to sit here for just a second. Last week I introduced this this paradigm of community, okay? And I brought the hoopla again. There will not be any hip shaking today either. I did not grow hips over the week. So um, I, I gave you this paradigm last week, and we talked about community. So when you begin to gauge in community, as you're walking in today, right, you, you never get a second chance to make a first impression. So you're making, you know, decisions about City Church of your first-time guest. You're seeing all the prairie dogs outside, and you're like, mm, and you see all the dirt, and you see the bump of music, and you get a cool cup, and you get some cold brew, and you get some cookies that probably are going to change your life. And then hopefully someone talked to you and sat next to you, and you're starting to make decisions about community. Already, you're like, oh, that guy's jeans are too tight, and he talks too fast, and you're right, he does not have hips. And, you know, you have all these things that you start making. And then you, you choose a city group, and you get plugged in on a, on a Monday or a Tuesday or a Thursday to a city group, and you have, like, this idealized version of community, just things in your mind that you think is going to make for healthy community. And so you and I show up with the ideal piece of community, and then eventually what happens is we move into spaces, it's going to happen, into disillusionment. This is like when you get outside of the honeymoon phase. You know what I'm talking about? Like, so, so what happens is you and I are in relationships, whether you're coming to city church or it's, you know, you're literally in a relationship, you have some new friends you made at school, or you're in college and, you know, or working on your undergrad and, and, and you make some classmates over here. You have all these different things of ideal community that then gets disillusioned. And we talked about this last week. Someone says something stupid. They don't return your phone call. They forgot about your coffee meeting at 7 a.m. and didn't show up. I didn't do that this week. I don't know what you're talking about. That's a joke. I totally bailed. I slept straight through my alarms and missed a meeting this week. I'm a terrible person. We disillusionment. That person is never coming back to our church, by the way. 
I'm just kidding, they're serving in kids today. Yeah, take that. You know why? Because they move past disillusionment. They're like, yep, Drake sucks, I got it. So, so we get disillusioned, and we talked about the reality that when disillusionment happens, this is the space that people go check out other churches, or they say, you know what, community's not for me, or I'm not really gonna plug into a city group, or you know, we just kind of de- keep our distance, or we break completely. And, and the easiest space when disillusionment happens is we break from community on a large scale, or this is when you know someone gets a divorce or friendships dissolve. I mean, you can apply it to every piece of community. But when disillusionment happens, when someone drops the ball, because they will, we have a choice. We can break or we can choose to accept the space that we are living life with broken people just like us and we've got to press through disillusionment into community. And when we move into this space, we find that there is healing and there is deeper treasure of God's plan for community for us than we could have ever imagined, and the cycle continues. Now, today what we're talking about is there is no way to get to acceptance without having a healthy understanding of conflict and confrontation. Because the reason that you were disillusioned is because something was broken. Whether it's big or small, it doesn't matter. Either they need to change, you need to change, there needs to be restoration, there needs to be some kind of resolution in order to get to this place. You don't just kind of blindside butterflies all the time, ignore it, and just hope that it gets better. The only way to move into a healthy space of community is through healthy conflict and confrontation. You guys with me on this? So that's what we're talking about today. Now here's the deal. The tools that we're gonna deal with today are gonna be helpful for you, not only in the context of the larger community of of large groups and small groups that we have here at City Church, but also in the context of your home, with your friends, in your marriages, wherever you find yourself, these are helpful. Now, as we get into community, I I just wanna kinda walk you through some of the things that we're not talking about, because I I think it's helpful so our minds don't go there. Conflict and confrontation are not venting about everything that bothers you or that you perceive is wrong in someone's life, right? This is not like an excuse. Some of you are like, you know, a little more aggressive and you like a little bit of conflict like me. And so this is not an excuse to put the gloves on and start bashing people, right? This is not the promotion of a critical spirit. This is not generating a gossip train and talking to everyone else but the person. This is not, you know, confrontation just for the sake of conflict, right? It's not like, okay, you know, Drake said that conflict's important. So, uh, you know, every third Tuesday, city groups, we're just showing up, and here we go. And you just kind of already, you know, there doesn't have to be anything wrong, but, but we're going to hit somebody. So it, this is not conflict for conflict's sake, even though some of you love that, okay? I know, I know. Um, but there is not this permission to get up on your soapbox and, you know, just complain about everything that you perceive is wrong. Does this make sense to you guys, right? When we talk about conflict and confrontation, this is not those things. What we're talking about today is, is what I'm going to call fruitful confrontation. And this is confrontation that helps both parties. Don't miss this. This is not about fixing other people. This is confrontation that helps both parties become who God is calling them to be. Now, now I'm just going to be real with you for a second. You and I live in a culture that is teaching us conflict whether we are paying attention to it or not. And so there's a lot of unhealthy examples of conflict, right? You probably have some from your home. You might actually do conflict the opposite of how you learned in your home because maybe it was damaging to you. But also we have examples in our culture of, of blasting people on the internet. It's amazing. 
the, the amount of boldness that you can have behind a screen, right? And then text messaging kind of moves us into that same place where we can kind of dehumanize people and we can say things digitally that we would never be comfortable saying to someone eye to eye. You know, conflict in, in this season might look like a, a, like a passive-aggressive post or repost of an article that you're hoping the person that you disagree with reads. <laughs> you're, like, you're like, oh, this is really good for them. <laughs> and hoping that they read it, right? There's this kind of passive-aggressive thing we do. Again, this might be, you know, the, the unhealthy versions that we have is gossip, talking to everyone, anyone else but the person that you have a problem with and just sharing your frustration. Uh, eventually, we, we have, you know, this entire space in our country and in our community where, you know, we're going to move conflict to legislation. So rather than, you know, one-on-one -on -one dealing with it in, in a loving way, we're going to try to deal with it at a legislative level. So it's like kind of, it, it's got a mob mentality feel. We're going to deal with the issue like this instead of one-on-one. -on -one. Um, you know, eventually, we, we see uh, conflict moving into protesting. Which again, I'm not, I'm not hating on all these versions. I'm just showing you what you, what you are constantly exposed to in ways of how do we deal with conflict? Legislate it. Make a law. Fix it for everybody. Protest. Make your voice heard. Break stuff. You know, like that, that, that's where we move into. And I'm not saying that these are right or wrong. I'm just giving you the examples that we see in our culture. These are the kind of confrontations, plus many more. You know, we have this, this, what's called fundamental attribution error. You guys heard of this term? Fundamental attribution error, which means that I assume the worst about you and believe the best about me. So when I'm running late to work, it's because I'm a good dad. I'm trying to help my kids get out of you know, the house, and I'm trying to serve my wife, and I made them breakfast, and I've got a good reason why I'm late to work. But when you're late to work, you're a lazy slob who's never going to amount to anything. That's fundamental attribution error. And we do it in all kinds of categories. And we live in this culture that makes it very, very hard to have healthy conflict. And I want you to think about it. Listen, how dare you have a normal conversation with somebody over coffee? How dare you sit down and have a meal with somebody you disagree with and talk about the issues in a way that is respected on both sides? I mean, that is absolutely unbelievable. How dare you put aside your assumptions and give, give someone the benefit of the doubt? I mean, that's just absurd. Most of us would rather do anything <laughs> than have a face-to-face -face conversation with someone we haven't, we're having conflict or confrontation with. The promise that you and I have, whether you're a big social media guru or not, you're living in a world dominated by social media, so, so this applies to you. The promise of social media in the world we live in today, the promise of technology, the promise of the phone in your pocket, is that you and I can know and be known without it costing us anything. We can have greater human connectivity than we've ever had before with lower emotional, physical, and time cost. That, that's the lie of social media and technology. Greater connectivity, no cost. But what we're learning is that's not delivering. That's a false narrative. Because you know this, and I know this, and this is what we're getting to today. What, what, what makes a relationship truly incredible what, what makes relationships worth having is the amount of cost. The willingness to sacrifice is what makes relationships deep and valuable. And so we have this entire culture that has a tendency to dehumanize. And listen, I'm not saying this is intentional. I'm just kind of raising your awareness to the world that we live in, guilty as charged. You and I live in the myth of a tolerant society. 
that it's tolerant unless you're not on the agenda. There is not really free speech. It's only free as long as you're in line with those who say that this is the narrative you should be following. And if you don't fit the narrative of our culture currently, you can politely shut up and and just take a back seat. This is the space that we live in. So then naturally, conflict is really hard. And it's also kind of full of guilt and shame. And so then it's really hard for us to know how to step into that space. And especially, I mean, if you're a follower of Jesus, I mean, you're like, man, where where does the space that that I sit in? There's an entire pressure in our culture right now around fear and shame. I just, I just want you to understand, like, shame is not how God changes us. I don't know what you've heard. I don't know what you've been around. I don't know your exposure to church and, you know, religion or whatever. But when it comes to Jesus, shame is not the agent of change, even if it is the primary motive we see in our culture. So here's, here's what I want to do. Before we move on, I want you to close your eyes with me and just sit for a second. I want you to think about the person that you've been thinking about the entire time I've been talking so far. (laughs) Think about the person that's just been on your mind. I'm gonna read Philippians 2 over you again. I just want you to sit in these verses as you think about the person you've been thinking about. Listen to this, Philippians 2. If you have any encouragement from being united with Jesus, if you have any comfort from his love, any common sharing in the spirit, any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love and being one in spirit and of one mind. Paul goes on and he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility value the person you've been thinking about above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset that Jesus has toward you. Okay, you can open your eyes. I just want you to sit in this with me, okay? This is a high calling, isn't it? To love like Jesus is a very high calling. In fact, I think we could argue that it's impossible outside of Jesus helping us. But conflict is real, and it's hard, and I want to give you some tools. So I need you to understand, listen, you and I, we're not the confrontation police. We're not the righteous police. We're not going around looking to just poke and prod and make messes. But we want to confront out of love because we love the person. We want to see fruit produced in their lives. So here's the deal. I don't know what definition you're operating out of, but you might want to write this down. Confrontation is always about showing people what is true about them. That's the goal. John 1, Jesus, uh, John tells us that Jesus came in grace and in truth. Jesus came with, with two pictures, fully grace, which is something we don't deserve, and fully truth. So there was a day when, when Jesus shows up and he says, it's, it's time that gracey met truthy. You guys with me? And, and, and so we have this, this reality that, that in conflict is good. It's a good, it's a good joke. All right, all right. In conflict, don't, don't, don't miss it. I'm not a boxer, clearly. All right, but you know, all right. I borrowed these. And these ones don't smell. Thank you, Brittany and Dan, for, for uh, clean gloves. Jesus shows up in grace and in truth. What does that mean? It means there is conflict to be dealt with. This is so important. There is a need for the gloves, Jesus would say. There is conflict to be dealt with. That's the truth of the matter. Our relationship with God and our relationship with one another, they're broken. But then Jesus takes the gloves off 
And he says, I'll take the blows for you. That's grace. There's conflict. There are things to be dealt with, but Jesus says, I'll take the blows in your place. Grace and truth. That's what we see in the life of Jesus. And I don't want you to miss how you and I show up in the lives of others. Because fruitful confrontation can't just happen on a surface level. It can only happen in an environment of security that you know that you're loved by the other person. This is not permission to go blast somebody you don't know today. So how do we do fruitful confrontation? That's that's what I want to talk about for the rest of our time. How do we do fruitful confrontation? Number one, you got to start with your identity. Start with identity. Don't miss this. Your identity, how you see yourself determines how you treat others. Did you know that? How you see yourself determines how you treat other people. If you see yourself as slighted, if you're always getting the bottom of the barrel, if you're always just getting kicked while you're down, if you've got the victim mentality, if you're living your life in that way, then you're always going to live your life trying to get something back. And it doesn't mean, listen, this is not an excuse. It doesn't mean you haven't had a hard life. I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying how you see yourself determines how you treat other people. But listen, if you can agree with God about what he says about you, if you see yourself as blessed and given more than you deserve, if you receive yourself as receiving grace when you did not deserve it, that Jesus took the blows for you when in fact that was not fair, if you see yourself in that space as loved by God, then you can show up and be graceful and generous to others even if they don't deserve it. If you don't know who you are, you will always try to change others for your benefit. If you know who you are, you will help people change for their benefit. This is the space, guys, and this is hard. Philippians 2, let me show you one more time. If, if any encouragement from being united with Christ, think about it. Isn't it encouraging that Jesus would show up full of grace and truth for you and I? He would die in our place for our sins, the death we deserve to give us new life, a relationship with God, and the power to love one another? That's encouraging. Any comfort from his love? Are you kidding? Jesus loves me. He knows all about me, all the junk in my life, past, present, and future, and he still loves me? That's comforting. Any tenderness and compassion? Are you kidding? Then, then, the result of, the byproduct of that mindset of knowing who you are, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit. When you're full of these things, you can love other people well. It starts with identity. You cannot value others if you don't value yourself. The problem you and I have is we forget what's true about us. Look at Romans 8. Paul says, if there is now no condemnation, some of you, man, listen, you feel heavy, you feel condemned, guilt and shame plague you, and I just want you to know, I don't know where that's coming from, but I can guarantee you it's not coming from God. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For Paul, this is an assumption For those who are in Christ Jesus, that means at one point you were not in Jesus. At one point you were separated in your relationship with God. For those of you that are followers of Jesus in the room, there was a moment in time when you realized your need 
for Jesus to step in to do what you could not do. And he does something in and through you you can't do on your own. We trust in Jesus. He saves us and sets us free. And he says we're now in Jesus. There's no condemnation. This is an amazing, amazing invitation. Alex Redman says it this way. Check this out. He says our theology can't be shaped by our experience, but rather our experience must be shaped by our theology. That you and I let the truth dictate our emotions and not the other way around. When you become a follower of Jesus, you should begin to love yourself. And if you don't, you don't disagree with me, you're disagreeing with God. Check this out, Matthew 22. Jesus was asked, hey, what does it mean to follow, like, like, how do we do this relationship with God thing? What does it mean? And Jesus responds and he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And Jesus, as he presents this, is, is giving us the reality that we love God because he first loved us. We don't manufacture a love for God. We respond to the incredible love of God for us. And then Jesus said, the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Everything hangs on these two commands. Jesus said, you can sum it all down to loving God and people, but in that priority. And I, I just need to ask you the question, hey, do you know that God loves you? I mean, I mean, like, really? He sees all of you, and he loves you. And he, he likes you, right? I think some people are convinced that God loves them, but he doesn't really like them. He loves you, and he likes you, and he's for you. And Jesus made a way for you to be made new and be transformed so that you and I can know this truth and we can move forward. Let me show you this quote from The Relational Soul. This is a book that I've been encouraging you to pick up if you get a chance. It says, God's design and desire for each one of us is to live freely, joyfully, and intimately. His invitation is to live with a radical receptivity toward him and others. God longs for us to express our giftedness and to believe that he delights in us. Do you believe that? God is eager for us to live beyond strategies of coping and protecting our strange souls. He wants us to live in and from our true selves in Christ. That when we are with Jesus, we begin to understand who he is and who he says we are. And then we begin to do the things that Jesus does. That's treating other people the way that he sees them as well. So the first thing is identity affects how you and I love others. The second thing is this, that we've got to focus on producing a culture of grace, specifically within City Church, but also in our homes and our workplaces, a culture of grace. Because our culture does not carry this, right? There's not grace in the culture that you and I live in. Everyone's walking around trying to win the conversation in our minds of how we're better than the other person. We kind of got this scale thing going on. You know, I'm looking at your education and your clothes and your morality and like, oh man, I would never do what they did, so I get a point for that. Or like, oh wow, they have cool shoes and I don't have those, so they get a point for that. Now I'm at, I'm at zero again, you know, and we're constantly playing this game of measuring up. And grace shows up and says, there is no measurement we all fall short. Check this out, John 1. John tells us, for from his fullness, that is Jesus, we have all received grace upon 
grace, as in buckets of grace, overflowing grace. Grace is that thing that we don't deserve. The other day, Grayson, my, my, my six-year-old, was behaving in a way that was inappropriate. It was not good for him. So he was being disrespectful towards his mother, and he's having a moment. And we sat down, and we had a conversation. And I said, you know what you deserve right now is a consequence for your behavior. Your behavior is not acceptable. And he's crying, and he's sad, and he's frustrated, and we're walking through all the emotions. And I said, what I'm going to give you right now is grace. The thing you do not deserve, I'm going to give you right now. Not, you, you did nothing to merit it. In fact, you, you deserve the exact opposite because of your behavior and your attitude towards your mother. But I'm going to give you grace because that's what, that's what God has given to Daddy. And that's how you and I respond to every other person we lock eyes with. They don't have to deserve it for us to give it. Grace upon grace. Check this out. James, the brother of Jesus, said it this way. But God gives more grace. Again, buckets of grace. That's why the scriptures say God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. That because of Jesus, the, the, the level, I'm sorry, the playing field is leveled. There is no comparison game. But I can extend tons of grace because I need tons of grace. Your stuff might be different than mine. Your brokenness might look different than mine. But because of Jesus, man, we all fall short. And so then I don't have to play the comparison game. I like to create a culture of grace. And here's the amazing thing, is that grace, it humbles us in one way, that where we can like esteem you know, others, but like it doesn't like strip us of self-worth. Isn't that unique? Because of the love of God, I can be humble and absolutely full of love at the same time. I can know that I'm loved without playing the comparison game. And here's what grace says in the life of somebody else. So I need you to understand, you're also called to carry this grace. Here's what happens when we're in the middle of conflict. Grace says, I can see who God is shaping you to be, and I can't wait to see that freedom continue to come to light. That's the commitment of grace and conflict. So let me give you some practical considerations as we close our time. I'm gonna invite Isaac to come. He's gonna play for a second. Let me just give you a couple of practical considerations because like that, that's like theology, that's head stuff of like, man, God's way is better and it's way harder, but how do we actually do it? Because there will be conflict. Let me give you a couple of things. Number one, let's, let's go to Matthew 18 first. Go to Matthew 18. So, so this is, listen, if you need to memorize anything, like memorize Matthew 18, like just those, that, that word and that number, Matthew 18. If you ever forget it, this is a really helpful place to go back to when you're in the middle of conflict. What do I do? Matthew 18, Jesus says, if your brother or sister sins, so this is either a sin against you or, or just a, a sin in general that you observe, something either against them or against God, not good for them, not good for others, whatever it is. If your brother or sister sins, again, brother or sister, those in the family of God, we don't expect people who are not followers of Jesus to act like it. You guys with me on this? You guys got that, right? We do not expect people who are not followers of Jesus to act like it. Some people have that massively backwards. Gratefully, you guys are an awesome church and you don't have that backwards, but there's some people, you know what I'm saying. All right, so if, if a brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. No gossip, no venting to your friend about how frustrated, no, just the two of you. If they listen, you've won them over. If they won't listen, take one or two others along, those who love them, again, this is all out of love, so that every matter might be established by the testimony of two to three, two to three witnesses. Sometimes conflict gets so big that neither of you can communicate well and you need a mediator. 
someone who loves both parties, that is neutral, that can show up and create space toward that conflict. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. Awkward. Next Sunday, open mic. <laughs> Come on. No, no. The church, like, like, and that, that's speaking to the leadership, right? So we're not talking about a Sunday gathering, right? But tell it to the church. Bring in the leaders in your church or a leader, pastoral counseling, to get some help. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, check it out. Jesus gives it to us. Treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Yeah. You know how Jesus treated pagans and tax collectors? Buckets of grace. Dang it. <laughs> right? You read that at first and you're like, yeah, except that's exactly what we didn't deserve. Treat them with buckets of grace. So that's Jesus' advice. Let me give you some practical just advice on how to do this well, okay? So three questions to consider when you're dealing with conflict. Number one, ask yourself, have I earned the right? And listen, I hope that you're praying and considering if there's conversations that you need to be having. Have I earned the right to have this conversation? You ever have someone show up and just give unsolicited advice in your life? <laughs> they just point out something and you're like, excuse you. <laughs> like, you don't even know me. It, it, it doesn't matter if it's true or not. There's no relational equity, right? If every relationship is a bank account, you've got to make some deposits into that account for it to be received well. Every conflict is, is a withdrawal. With your kids, in your marriage, in your city group, every conflict is a withdrawal, withdrawal from the relational equity in the bank accounts of your relationships. You've got to make a lot of deposits so that when there is conflict, you don't bankrupt the relationship. That makes sense? Have I earned the right? Ask the question, am, am I the right person for this conversation? There are some things that, that, that I have no business speaking into. Sometimes there's gender-specific conversations. Sometimes God has already placed someone else in their life. Another question to ask myself in, 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 in this is, am I winning them over in love? Again, you're kind of asking the question like, have they actually invited my critique? This is one of the spaces we create in city groups. Like, you have permission to speak into my life. Everyone in my group can speak into my life. The gloves are off, or they're on, which, either way, they have permission. Again, as you're wrestling with it, are, are, are they a follower of Jesus? Because, man, you don't want to step into a space that's not welcome. Do I have their trust? Again, as you wrestle with, are, they winning, are you winning them over in love? Is the, kind of ask yourself the motive. Why am I having this conversation? Is this for me or for them? Is the goal to show them who they really are in love? As I'm wrestling with it, like, is this something God is already working on them in? Like, like you're going to pray about it before you just kind of roll into conflict. Is this something that God wants me to speak into? Or is God already dealing with it, and, and, and I'm just going to be there as a support? Number three, am I being clear? You and I show up because conflict is uncomfortable, and we sugarcoat, or we exaggerate, and we have this lack of love because we're afraid of what they might think of us when we go into conflict. But I need you to hear me. Listen, fear and pride, those are about me and you. We don't want to cause discomfort to our own selves so that we won't do what's loving in their lives. But, but in love, we can show up, and we can say, this is wrong, and I still love you. And the way that you know someone loves you is after they've confronted you, 
they stay. Conflict is hard. As we wrestle with it, have I earned the right? Am I winning them over in love? I'm evaluating my motive. And lastly, am I being clear, not, not beating around the bush about it? Listen, I've got tons of people who speak into my life. And because of Jesus, more, more times than not, I want to be at a place where I can say, wow, thank you. I did not see that in me. I'm so glad you pointed it out. I've had many conversations. We, we have the value of consistent transparency here, right? And what that means is I don't really want to have this conversation, but I love you enough to have it anyway. I see who God is making you to be. And I love you too much not to have this conversation. So I, I don't want you to miss it. 2 Corinthians 3.18, let me show you this last verse. All of us, Paul says, who have had that veil removed, using an Old Testament metaphor to help us understand how our eyes are made clear in a relationship with God. We can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, we're going to talk about that next week, He makes us more and more like Him as we are transformed into His image. You and I are not the saviors. We're just the pointers. And our goal is to point our friends back to Jesus. And our goal is to receive it well when, when what is given to us. And if we're going to grow in community, if we're going to be transformed, it takes getting close with people, it takes our rough edges being exposed, and it takes loving, hard community to grow through it. Here's the good news. You and I are invited to bring all of our stuff to Jesus. Let me pray for you. Will you close your, close your eyes with me and uh, bow your heads for just a moment? As you do that, I, I know that we dealt with a lot of content today, but I also know that conflict on the surface level is very real. It's very normal. You might be right in the middle of it right now. And so just with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, just kind of reflecting on the time. This is not like a super spiritual moment. This is just a moment for you to kind of be quiet in your own heart and mind. What is God saying to you today? Is there a relationship that needs to be restored? Is there a conversation that needs to be had? Is there an offense that someone has made towards you that needs to be resolved? Is there an offense that you have made towards someone else that needs to be resolved? Is there someone that God has put on your heart and mind and you're not even sure if they're aware of the thing damaging them and others? And maybe God wants you to have a conversation with them. Is there pride in your heart? Could you receive a conversation today that was hard? If someone were to come to you and to point you toward Jesus and, and something better for your life, could you receive it? Are there people close to you right now? Have you let people in? Is there anyone that you've allowed to have relational equity in your life? Or have you isolated yourself for fear of getting hurt? Maybe you're wrestling with some pain in the past. Maybe pain from your home of origin, your family of origin. Maybe pain from past community. Maybe pain from existing community and you don't know what to do with it. Defenses are up and you're scared. Again, the goal today is to point each other to Jesus. 
And maybe you're wrestling with it today. Sitting in the reality that Jesus, He took the blows in our place for our sin. That before there's conflict with our brothers and sisters, there's conflict with God. Our lack of trust, our own pride. And Jesus steps into the pages of human history as the perfect Son of God, sinless, fully man, fully God. He lives the life that you and I can't live with no sin. He willingly dies the death that we deserve in our place. And then he rises again on the third day to prove and to punctuate that he was indeed who he said he was, that he can do in our lives what he said he would do. And before we can ever be restored to our brothers and sisters, we must first be restored in our relationship with God. Maybe for the first time today, you're hearing a couple of truths that God loves you, that he's made a way for you to be restored back into relationship with him. And from that invitation, he can completely change your life like he's done for me and like he's done for many others in the room. And I just want you to have the permission today. You are invited first to be with Jesus, to trust in Jesus. In your own heart and mind today, you might pray, Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God. I believe you died for my sin and I want you to save me and set me free. I want to follow you today. However you would articulate those words and that prayer in your heart and your mind, even privately, I want you to know if you're making that decision today, if you're praying that prayer with me today, heaven is celebrating because a son or daughter is coming home and you are indeed loved. But you're not just loved by God, you're loved by his family. You are loved, safe, and welcome in this place. And church, I want you to commit with me right now. We are going to be safe people, full of grace and full of truth. Jesus is our example. No one else. Father, I I give you the space as we continue to worship. I pray that you would bring uh, just actions to our mind that we need to deal with today. Maybe there's a text message we need to send right now, a conversation we need to schedule this week, a coffee meeting, a dinner things we need to say sorry for, things we need to bring up. God, help us to be people that love like you loved us. It's in Jesus' name, amen.